Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Who else would I be? I mean, really? Anyway, there are moments in life that define us, that set us on one path or plunge us down a completely different path. Join me as we dive into our guest's turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. Hey, the 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. I'm in a preacher mode. <laughs> I'm feeling like a preacher today. <laughs> hey, what's up, Frederick Joseph? What's going on, Eric? How's everything, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm going to intro you. I'm going to let the world know about Frederick Joseph as if they don't know. I mean, some people don't, but most people do, and most people should if they don't already. So let me give you the, an appropriate intro. Frederick Joseph is an activist, philanthropist, and author of the novel The Black Friend a reflection of his own experiences with racism as well as conversations with other artists and activists about their own experiences with racism. Frederick created the hashtag, hashtag Black Panther Challenge that allowed more than 75,000 children worldwide to see the film Black Panther for free. This campaign generated over $43 million in advertising and media for Disney. Additionally, Frederick also started the Rent Relief Campaign and raised $1 million in COVID-19 support. Frederick was on the Forbes Under 30 list for marketing and advertising and has been honored with numerous awards, including the 2018 Comic-Con Humanitarian of the Year Award. Please welcome our guest, Frederick Joseph. Hey, you know, I, I, before we get started, I love the theme song. It, it like has that kind of like 90s sitcom like. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. That's all I ever want. <laughs> that's how i feel thank you mm. <laughs> it's supposed to be feel yeah, good I, I and it. like a little nostalgic <laughs> so i know that you know because obviously we talked a little bit earlier you're in the cat skills hanging out chilling so is this how you're like are you winding down your year or how, yeah why are you there i mean you know usually my fiance and i will try to get away a few times a year this year's been this year mm -hmm. we decided that for the holidays we would just get out of the city um and spend some time up here right you know but it's been it's been interesting um to say the least you know it's it's, it's definitely trump country up here it feels literally like being in trump's house or something you know oh yeah Opinions, opinions. Yeah. Speaking of being out of place or feeling out of place, okay. I've got a game for you. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is... Hey, it's me, the Black Friend. <laughs> so I want you to guess this TV or film, Black Friend. I hope so. I feel like you're going to know this, hopefully. All right. If you need some clues, I, I can help you out. So to kick it off, she's trendy and talkative. She's her clique's fashion expert and the queen of gossip. This character had a brief stint with this Bayside babe oh, that didn't last Lisa Turtle. due to a long... Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. You do base The Bayside is what like got me because the, the, the black chick is usually like the trendy, clicky person in every show. So. <laughs> right, exactly. So true. So yes, correct. Lisa Turtle. Now, this lovable character in this LA-based Fox sitcom is the only main character not to appear in the pilot. 
He played basketball in Lativa before a leg injury ended his basketball career. He grew up with one of his roommates, Nick. He loves fruity mixed drinks. He's got the largest room of all the roommates. And as of the series finale, he was a cop with the LAPD. Oh, um, uh, Winston or New Girl? <laughs> Correct. Great job. Great job. Winston, really. Okay, that's somebody I'd love to interview Lamorne. I, I loved Winston. I loved that character. He was hilarious. Yeah, he he definitely, like, if you're talking about, like, character arcs, his was very interesting. How you, like... By the end of the show, he was like talking about like police brutality and racism. It was. I was like, okay, you know, I was like, all right, cool. Hey, that's where we're going with this, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. It was surprising, but he he did it. So shout out to Winston slash Lamorne. Now, this next black friend was the youngest main character of the girls on this show. She's remembered for her penchant for roller skates, her gossipy nature, and her braces. Mrs. Garrett saved her booty a number of times, even while this character's stories didn't shy away from facing some hard facts about race. Ooh, um, youngest character on a show, Mrs. Garrett. Um, it's probably a cartoon or something. Um, mm-hmm. Damn. Um, and it's a it's a it's a girl, Mrs. Garrett. Uh-huh. Mrs. Garrett. I don't I don't even think I, I maybe I'm I don't know if I'm in the wrong <laughs> age group for this. I don't know what is it. Wait, no, no, no. Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Give me a clue. Okay. Well, well. see, I, I have a clue that would make it so obvious. Okay, I can tell you it was the 80s. The 80s was the prime time for this show. Girls, she was the youngest girl. Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett. Saved her booty a number of times. Um, damn. Uh, uh, the facts of life? Oh! <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> I was very prepared for you to get it wrong, so I didn't have the ding at the ready. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> but you you pulled through at the last moment. That's wild. Uh, yeah, you got it. Okay, you know you know your black friend because you've been that. You've been the black friend. You know, and that's the reason for everyone to go by the black friend. And it- <laughs> hey, I know we better plug. Next up, while she occasionally uses Valley Girl slang, this black friend is well-spoken and clearly intelligent. She had like a long-term relationship with her boyfriend, as long-term as long-term can be in high school. And after a frightening experience uh, on the freeway, you, 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 know, oh, shit. you gave it away, obviously. <laughs> um, but I is that clueless though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got it if you didn't do that because I've never even seen an episode of Clueless before. It is clueless, and I. <laughs> Wait, but you never saw the movie either? Nah, I was like watching like Poetic Justice or something at the time. <laughs> he was like, nah, nah, that's, 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 that's not real for me. That's not real for me. Well, I I have to give myself a womp womp because I messed that up because, you know, I copied and pasted certain things uh-huh. and then uh-huh. just ended up saying her name. So yeah, it was Dion Davenport from Clueless. Next, this aspiring Broadway performer fled to New York City in the middle of his wedding reception under a new name, knowing he could be out and proud. His unbreakable roommate consoles him and offers advice as he goes from audition to audition. In the finale of this show, he ends up getting his dream role of understudying Rafiki in The Lion King on Broadway. The hell? Um, moved to New York. Um, this sounds like, like, so there's a lot of shows I haven't seen. It sounds like some Will and, I'm not saying this is it, but it sounds like some Will and Grace stuff, but uh-huh. Damn. Um, moved to New York. Understudy as a. Oh, um, Kimmy Schmidt. 
Okay, okay, that's the show. Do you, if you don't know the character's name, I, I will accept. Oh, Titus, 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 no, no, no. Yes! Um, shout out to Titus, because me and Titus have each other on social and all that. But I ran into Titus coming out of a 99 cent store one day, yeah. and he's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you don't have to go, when you certainly don't have to go to the 99 cent store, but you say, exactly. I could get it from the exactly. 99 cent store, uh-huh. that makes you cool. We love that. Um... Correct. Yes, his his character's name is Titus Andromedon, which I didn't really realize that 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 was his last name. Okay, so you you did well. That is it for your uh, our black friend, the black friend. You did a great job. Now, is there one that you think of right now that's one that wasn't on there? I'm I'm just curious if you have a. You know, it's interesting. I think there could have been a few because like you had like the whole '80s and '90s. I was always like that, like. Like that one black friend, so you could have used like mm-hmm. the Yellow Ranger. No, the Yellow Ranger was Asian. The um, the what's her name? No, she was yellow. No, the, the the Yellow Ranger was black in like the later Power Rangers. Really? Well, I know the Black Ranger, I, Zach. I was I actually was thinking about him. I was like, oh, I should have picked him as one of them. What they did was um, the Yellow Ranger was Asian. And the Black Ranger was black, and then they was getting like cries of racism, obviously. So they made the Yellow Ranger black eventually. Her name was Aisha, and she was. This, you, ever, you ever seen the movie of Wood? Oh, that's right. She's like the girl who plays the little, the young girl in the wood. Anyway, yeah, she. she was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good one. Like the Rangers. Uh huh. Oh, you could use Gerald from Hey Arnold. He was like the only black person on Hey Arnold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Hey Arnold. Yeah, that's a few. And and what I recognize, which is a good thing, I think, is that it does happen so rarely now. I don't know if uh-huh. just the market is oversaturated, uh-huh. so we can't find the black friends, or if it really is happening less. I was trying to think of more contemporary films and TV shows, and I was like, ah. Maybe they've uh, worn that out. Huh. That is, I mean, you know, I think it's like, instead of being like the black friend, they'll give like black people a black show and on like, a, it'll, be like it'll be like, here's our one black show. We have one, you know? Uh-huh. So you won't be like able to find like, uh-huh. one in the crowd. Now it's just like a lot of the shows are all white casts. Oh no. The Kardashians usually have one, a black guy there with every. every <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is, that's a whole nother, once you, as soon as you say Kardashians, that's a whole nother John, I don't even know. Oof. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions about you, Fred, that are kind of quirky and weird. Mm. What's the first thing you remember buying with your own money? First thing I bought with my own money was um, Buster Rhymes Dangerous on cassette tape on like, um, yeah, like a, like a little, yeah, tape. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. I don't, I, that's all I can do. Like, I don't know what it was, but I, I was obsessed. Like, <laughs> the beat was like, do, 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 And I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, I need this, you know? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's great. Bust a bus. Bust a bus. But yeah, mm. I, I, well, when I was younger, I would spend time trying to do what the he fast. did, but I said, no, I need to let that go. In terms of just fast rapid. Yeah, I can't do it neither. I've tried though, and I and I've tried really hard when I'm drunk, but you know, I, <laughs> but you know, that's a whole nother. <laughs> the many things people try when they're drunk, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of drunk, what is your best scar story? Like a scar that you have, and like a, a story behind that. Ooh, a best scar story. So I have like a scar on my hand, um, like between my um, pointer finger, and my thumb. 
when I was a kid, I grew up really, really um, poor. And mm-hmm. so I didn't get to get new toys often. So what I would do is I would take my old action figures and like take the pieces apart and put them in other action figures to pretend they were new characters. And I don't know why I didn't have a screwdriver at the time. So, you know, you had to unscrew like the toy, whatever, put it back together. So I tried to use, I used a scissor to unscrew it. The right. scissors slipped out and went through my hand. I was maybe like oh. seven or eight. Ooh. And like my mother had to come and pull it out and then like rush me to the hospital. I passed out. So yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. 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 That sounds awful. Well, that was a good scar story. And ultimately related to your mission to yeah. get people to see Black Panther. Somehow this is definitely connected. Yep. I feel like that moment yep, is connected yep, yep, to yep. Accessi- accessibility, you know what I mean? And like yep. creating access and creating means for people to, who don't can't afford it to like have an experience that's worthwhile. Absolutely. Yep. Wow, that's deep. Uh-huh. And speaking of movies, if a movie was made of your life, what genre would it be and who would you want to play you? Ooh. What genre would be? It would be like one of those, like, those Oscar-winning A24 films, you know, like one of those, mm. one of those, you know, or Fox Searchlight or something like that. Hey. It would definitely be a drama. Yeah. Something really, like, like a great actor. You know, to be honest with you, I'm going to plug something right now. I'm, I'm going to plug this. I would play myself. I love it. At, like, my age now and maybe even shave my beard when I was a teen and have man who will play me young whoever whoever they get to play like a miles morales or something like that will play a young version of me okay but the reason i say i play myself is i like i actually wanted to be an actor um before i went to college like i like so i did acting for a long time i went to like in a, a performing arts school and everything hmm. what performing arts school so i went to Enrico Fermi performing arts school um in westchester and then I just kept acting after that. And ironically, with the Titus thing, I actually auditioned for The Lion King twice. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, he's going to play himself, ladies and gentlemen. He's ready. Oh, he's, he's, been, he's been ready for this role all his life. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I try. I try. So now getting into kind of your career and your book, Tell us about your experience growing up. How was it being the black friend? Yes, I mean, it was interesting because, you know, I lived in a very black and Latinx neighborhood um, growing up, you know, in the project, so on and so forth. But my first high school that I went to, I got kicked out, actually. Um, I got kicked out of my first high school. And what, what area is this in? I'm from Yonkers, New York. Yeah, yeah. So Yonkers, just for context, people don't know, is where, like, DMX is from, and Mary J. Blige, and Steven Tyler, so on and so forth. But it's also one of the last, if not the last, school systems desegregated in America. Yeah, there's a whole HBO thing on it. So, like, Uh they did a giant busing when I was young to get people to go to different schools. But it was kind of like our own, like, remember the Titans moment of, like, oh, you're going to send the black kids to the white school, and the white kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, mm. so for me, I grew up, you know, in, a, in an impoverished neighborhood. Right. But when I got kicked out of my first high school, they, like, switched me to a different high school that was, like, more white kids than i ever seen in my life, right? Like, <laughs> to this day, it's actually funny. I had a conversation with someone recently. I was like, until my fiance's mother, my fiance's biracial, I had never had a white person sleep in my house, right? And this is like mm-hmm. two months ago. 
So it was a culture shock. And, and you know, oftentimes wow, yeah. being like one of the black people or whatever means like, especially during, like I say in my book, you know, and this is pre-Obama. People weren't trying to be woke yet. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, you, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. what hood are you from? I'm like, well, I am from the hood, but you shouldn't just assume that. They're like, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, shut your black ass up. But, um, <laughs> right. Uh, so it was, it was difficult. You know, it was a lot of experiences. <laughs> that were first for me um my classmates inviting me to parties where it was like hey we're gonna have like a rager i'm like the hell is a rager we're gonna do kegs here what the fuck is a keg you know <laughs> yeah it was it was interesting to say the least it's problematic yeah oh my gosh yeah yeah i love that you're saying this with all honesty because pop culture is such that like as a black kid, you might watch this stuff on TV, on TV mm-hmm. or like see it in films and be like, oh, I don't do that. Or that's not what me and my friends do. Like, I, what? Yeah. And then when you actually experience it, you're like, oh, this oh, this is real. But this, but the expectation with mass media, especially 80s, 90s, was just that, oh, yeah, everyone knows what this is. Or, you know, um, I'm sure growing up, going to performing arts school, you had those moments where... It was like, oh, everyone knows this, yeah. you know, Tennessee Williams. Everyone loves Tennessee Williams. And you're like, right. what? I know a Raisin in the Sun. I know August Wilson. Do you know about, you know, Gem of the Ocean? Do you know about Two Trains Running? Where there's this expectation that white folks culture is just the standard and anything else is foreign. And it's like, oh, man, I believe my experience is the standard. So, well, that's funny because like, that's actually what I write about, right? Like, Every chapter in the book, um, my upcoming book, whatever, is on these experiences from elementary school to like college of like, and, and there's a point in it, I'm talking about like, we live in a country or just a society generally globally where people see the standard of normal, quote unquote, as being whiteness, right? So it's like, for me, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen Seventh Heaven, yeah, I've seen Boy Meets World, so on and so forth, but like, have you seen the Jamie Foxx show? Have you seen right. all anything that was on UPN in the nineties? I guess, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anything, anything on UPN. On UPN. <laughs> Homeboys in outer space. That was short lived. Short lived. My man Flex Alexander. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly it, right? It's like <laughs> being in white spaces was difficult because the standards of um, just humanity are based on whiteness, oftentimes for a lot of people. Yeah, I'll never forget. I mean, I have lots of moments uh, in college that I'll never forget. One was one of my uh, white roommates. He was like, what do you need a hairbrush for? And I was like, oh my gosh, to brush my hair. And I'm like, what? Like, he was astounded that I brushed my hair or that someone with short hair would have a hairbrush and brush their hair. I mean, it was just... Mm-hmm. So I know that I went to a predominantly white high school and that was... a. Uh, Shock to my system because before that I went to predominantly black elementary school and middle school. And so when I was in high school, I found myself trying to do every black thing possible. I was a <laughs> part of the Black Awareness Club. I was a part of the team for the Black History Month Assembly. I was, you know, there was a fashion show that black students put together. I was hosting it. So did you feel pressure at that age? to take up black causes and what did you do and how did you deal with that pressure? Well, that's interesting. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Maryland. Okay. So like, I think in the DMV, there's a lot more black culture. I grew up, you know, Yonkers is 
out of the city and like even mm, with with right. that like a lot of new york is very um like new york is not a melting pot i always say new york is like kind of like that plate that you put stuff on at boston market where it separates it whatever <laughs> i see it yes so a lot of culture in new york city and like you know the suburbs in new york is very like mixed up like latinx and the center there's not like a black rooted thing right there i don't mm. remember and and you know i'm sure somebody can t- tell me if i'm wrong if they're re- watching this later or listening to this later but i don't remember there being like like a black student group in high school like that or whatever so i didn't necessarily take that up i, I think that what i did mm. was um lean more into being palatable which is something i write about and that was problematic right so where i was living Mm. You know, I was, you know, still coming to school in Jordan's. I was, you know, very, very swaggy, you know? Uh-huh. Yes. You know, where, where I was from, all my vernacular changed, right? I might go home. It was good. Like, oh, nah, you had, nah, I don't, you know, my school whacked. I sat there and go to school. I'm like, hey, guys. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That code switching, that good code switching. Right. Absolute code switching. And it was for survival, you know? Um, so I don't know that I leaned into blackness because it wasn't mm. available i probably lean more into like i wouldn't say whiteness just like being palatable to everybody in some way yeah oh what would you say is the cost to that it's so interesting obviously people do it because they feel they need to but do you feel like there's a cost to um not being your fully authentic self in order to be palatable oh yeah absolutely i think that um that's the essence of not just when i was younger but anybody who has to code switch right like I say to people all the time, I actually saw a post. Mm-hmm. Like I changed up when I got to college. I, my eyes just boom, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. but I, I saw a post today. It was a bunch of guys in suits, and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna change the narrative about black men." And they were, you know, again in these suits. And I'm like, "Well, that's problematic in itself because, right. you know, what you're doing is actually upholding stereotypes by saying that not being in suits." is a bad black man and being in suits is a good black man, right? I'm like, yeah. you know, let's have the conversation about respectability politics. And I think that that's what I didn't get when I was younger was that, you know, me, I, I did love Harry Potter, right? Like I didn't, like mm. all the things I was into around other people weren't things I actually wasn't into. I was really into these things, but it should have been okay. And I should have leaned into being like, yeah, I'm from, I'm from the hood and I love Harry Potter and that's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the cost, not just to me, but to everybody around me also. Right. I think that I did everybody a disservice. Right. Including black people who came up after me. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Oh, that's powerful. Message. Because it's true. It's like, like you said, it was a disservice to not just you, but everyone around you because they could have had an opportunity to see a more complex, Mm -hmm. fully realized, authentic black man as all of who who you claim to be as opposed to bring out this piece at this moment and then this piece at this moment. And people are like, well, I know this piece, so this is the real piece. And, I, you know, mm. it just creates a lot of craziness. Yep. So let's talk about the Black Panther Challenge. Mm. What prompted you to start that? And when did you recognize it was a moment that people were participating in nationally and globally? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, for me, like I said, grew up impoverished. I have a brother who's eight years old, you know, huge age gap. You're talking... 20 years, whatever it is. Anyway, it's a huge age gap. And he was at my apartment um, a few years back before Black Panther came out. And they showed a trailer for Black Panther. We were in the middle of playing Jenga. He must have been six at the time. He was cheating. (laughs) (laughs) I love you called him out. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I hope, you know, he knows what it is. You know, there was a trailer for Black Panther. And I saw how excited that he was. 
and he said something that like changed just my perception on it. Like I knew how important it was, but I didn't, you know, I, I'm a big comic cat. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for Black Panther. But he said, he said, wow, he looks like me. And I was like, oh, hmm. okay, that's that's something, right? Because it wasn't just like getting a character in a ensemble cast. Right. It's a world built around blackness. Like he looks like me. He is the moment, right? So I said, okay, maybe we'll take a few kids to see the movie, you know, um, who wouldn't have had the opportunity. Like maybe when I was younger, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So mm-hmm. um, what I decided to do was um, ask a few friends for, you know, my answer. I'll put in, I think it was like a thousand. I said, I'll put in a thousand dollars. Y'all put in, you know, a few hundred if you got it, whatever. Yeah. And my mother actually said, she said, well, why don't you try that GoFundMe thing? I'm like, what? You know, she's like, try to GoFundMe thing. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what you do, right? You work for marketing stuff. I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, oh, well, you know, you work for stuff that raises and gets people to do stuff. Just get people to donate money. So I was like, uh, okay, whatever. So I built this strategy of how I could get it to like $10,000. I was like begging celebrities online, begging people who have like platforms, kind of like similar, funny, funny enough, similar to like my platform now, like, hey, can you please retweet? Hey, can you please share? And I went to sleep one night mm-hmm. and I woke up and I think the, the campaign was at like six thousand dollars i was like oh man we might hit ten thousand in the next few weeks whatever yeah and i woke up to like a billion messages people are like you won the shade room <laughs> I'm like, yes the shade room i'm like what they're like you're in the shade room at good morning america and huffington post i'm like huh so i looked at the campaign it had been retweeted by like chelsea clinton and a few other people like while i was asleep and it, it was at like forty thousand dollars when I woke up from like the six thousand it was at. So what? What? I have to press buttons. Whoa! That's wow! That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I, you know, that was wild, and that, you know, and from that moment, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. And GoFundMe reached out to me like, hey, who are you? Um, because you know, <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Um, what are you really using the money for? So we worked it all out, and they got to know me, and we built a great relationship you know, to this day. And yeah. I think it became a, I knew it was a global moment when the Ellen show had me come on. And that's when I sat with, um, you know, uh, Chadwick, um, mm. you know, um, rest in peace, Chadwick. And, Oof. um, yeah, sorry. I don't, yeah. Anyway, his influence on globally yeah. on black people, the black community, it is astounding. Cause I think about, you know, I, I actually got to meet him before he was famous like, in the New York theater scene. And he was such a humble, wonderful, just very gracious and very about the work type of person and the work in community. And I just, uh, it astounds me to to know the commitment that he had to us and to his craft. Yeah, I mean, I have stories for days about, you know, him after, after that moment and just, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, that's... That's kind of how I knew it was a global moment when Ellen had us on. And so you talked a little bit about it, but I guess talk talk to us about your life before that moment. Did you <laughs> imagine that this was this something that and, and you know and in, in your that you were aspiring toward, or how did this happen? What was life before hashtag Black Panther Challenge? Life before the Black Panther Challenge was. You know, I, I went to school. I got my MBA in marketing. My undergrad was in poli sci and creative writing. And I was like, okay, great. So I was like leading marketing teams and had like one or two clients as well. I was doing pretty okay for myself, you know, much better than I had done when I was younger. I was traveling, you know, like one of those lives. I was just like, 
you know, like the quintessential, like what like a kid wants to kind of be who grew up in with nothing, right? Like, oh, I'm making, you know, over mm-hmm. six figures. I have my own place. I get to go wherever I want. I'm at brunch. So, yes, yes. <laughs> I go wherever I want. I'm at brunch. That's right. Yeah, I'm telling you, bougie people love some brunch. Yeah, love some brunch. You know, you get a you get a mimosa and some um and some and you get a mimosa and a little brunch fit. You're like, oh, I, I made it. You know, there's not not much else after this. Right. Yes. But I think from the Black Panther challenge, never did I think that even when the Black Panther challenge happened, that my life, even to this day, would end up being what it is. Like, I don't even understand my life because I'm, I'm no longer doing the things that I was doing, right? Like, we're on here talking about, like, oh, my book, and this and that third, and, mm. you know, and I'm working on my second and third books. It's just weird. Yeah. But I think I kind of knew something was different when I was flying back from L.A. I, like, I, you start getting invited to things, right? Like, mm. if you do something cool, People might invite you to a few things or like shout you out on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Uh-huh. But if you really might have a chance to get yourself in there a little bit, people start inviting you to stuff. Uh-huh. And I was on a flight. I just went to LA for somebody's release of like an app. I don't even know who it was. They're like, hey, we got to have you. <laughs> I was like, hey, we got to have you here. Um, love what you do. I was like, okay. Uh, so I just, you know, go to LA. <laughs> like, can I still make it to brunch on Sunday? Can I still make it to brunch though? Well, so the crazy thing was I'm flying back from LA and, you know, now I'm buying Wi-Fi on the plane because I'm feeling myself. I love these <laughs> markers of, of success. I love it. I mean, you know, we're just right, like, right. material success. Yeah, we, yeah. we know that success is larger than these things, but it is it is great. And I, have, I get a message on my phone from a number I don't know. That's another way you know that you're kind of doing something cool. When people start getting your number, you know how they got it, right? Uh-huh. So I get a message like, hey, um, this I forget the guy's name, but this is whomever Snoop wants you to um, meet with him. Um, can you meet up tonight? Just Snoop. Just, just said it real casually. Snoop. Yeah, just wow. whatever. I'm like, so me, I'm like, oh, Snoop who, right? He's like, he puts like, huh? Dog, right? And I'm like, so me, I'm like, where? <laughs> He's like, oh, um, we'll leave some, pa- what do you, are you, where are you right now? I'm like, I'm flying from LA. He's like, oh, we'll leave some, what airport? We'll have somebody come pick you up with some passes for his show tonight and y'all can chill after whatever. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> so- wow. <laughs> Yeah, so that was crazy. Yeah, that's nice. And so he essentially just wanted to meet with you. Yeah, he was like, you know, I see all the things you're doing from the black kids at Santa Third, and if you ever, I wanted to get to, you know, catch your vibration, and if you ever need anything, let me know. And we just, you know, wow, we just kicked it for a bit, and things after that just kind of like I thought it was gonna be like a little fifteen minutes, whatever, and things just just kept going next thing you know it's like yeah two yeah. years later and all these other things are happening so it's pretty cool and what what would you say keeps you grounded because you know people can get caught up in this stuff and it's like i don't have to do anything else <laughs> i've done it i'm i'm making some money i'm getting attention i'm getting things that i want so what keeps you grounded in terms of continuing to build i mean i still have bills to pay so you know <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think outside of that, I think that the reason why my platform has grown, the reason why people kind of support me, so on and so forth, and we say I keep on getting opportunities to do things, is because I'm not like I, I really don't consider myself full of myself. I'm very much always happy to be here, right? Like I'm just like I'm really thankful. Like even if my book, for instance, is not a New York Times bestseller, I have a book. 
right? I have a book out that kids are going to read yeah, that like huge. hundreds of people, maybe thousands have bought already. And even two people buying my book means a lot to me. So I think that mm-hmm. people kind of like connect on that energy because that's just who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of who you are, what is a moment that you felt like was a transition? Uh, what is a 180 moment where you had to turn things around? You know, it's interesting. I think that with like gaining some like notoriety or whatever, you have to decide, like to your point, who you want to be, right? Like mm. I met my fiance, she was kind of like, you know, well, what the hell is all this, right? Like I'm not, what, what is this? And you could decide to kind of like lean into the nonsense of like, ooh, I got some IG followers or ooh, you know, this and that third. Mm-hmm. And I had to like sit with myself and say like, okay, how do I want to navigate this and who do I want to be for the next 10, 15, 40 years, whatever, um, because you can get more opportunities, but you don't want to be a cornball, right? Like, and I, and I think that that's been the most important thing um, of late. Outside of probably COVID, right? Like, and I, and I think that's just something to call out. I think that I've had to do mm-hmm. a lot of transition, a lot of pivoting, yeah. 180s during COVID, not just, you know, with the things I'm doing, but like my mental health, right? Like yeah. understanding how do I stay okay, right? Like, or being used to not being okay. That's huge. So, and, and just to, for clarification, in terms of the transitional moment, you're discussing kind of getting a certain amount of success. And I'm going to describe it as keeping your head on straight, kind of making sure that you knew how you wanted to navigate this new level of success. You know, I don't even know, because I think that a lot of people think that like with followers or something mm. or like news comes like money. No, it's <laughs> yeah. just, you know, it's just followers, right? Like you have the same amount of money in your pocket at 10 followers as 10,000 as a hundred thousand. Right. Well, not necessarily if you are getting brand partnerships, whatever, but I think it's the moments in which you're like, you have a picture up, maybe like you, you was in the gym or something like that. And like, mm-hmm. you know, Tracy Ellis Ross or something like, like posts on like, Oh, this is fire. Like, right 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 you know it's those kind of moments that you have to like watch yourself like oh let me relax here you know (laughs) yeah yeah totally it's it's holding yourself to a standard that you can be proud of ultimately where it's like okay i know i have access but that doesn't mean i have to access (laughs) yep that's it yep uh uh-huh that's it that's it yeah, that's that's a bar. That is that is a bar. That's, <laughs> that's when you take the headphones off. Like, oh, he's spitting. Yeah, just like, bah, bah, just, just, just exactly. Headphone drop. <laughs> so the black friend is out. You talked about other books. Do you have other things that are in the works? What are you excited about that's coming up? Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's interesting because every single industry globally is ran by by white people right like mm. um that's just the reality of the world we live in so like with the publishing industry for instance my first book you know obviously subtitled on being a better white person it centers white people right it's like mm. not just for white people but it centers white people so it was easy to sell because like a lot of publishers saw themselves and they're like oh i want to be better oh my god i get it this and that third but there's a lot of things that my agent and i pitched and proposed for like 
blacker narratives, like deeper things, not necessarily deeper, but like mm. other things. Like there was like one book, for example, it was called Black Under Trump. Mm. And it was this assessment of the Trump era, but from like a black perspective, because we hear a lot of white people and we see a lot of this out there, but we were disproportionately impacted by this era of conservatism and Trumpism, right? And this, and the lasting roots of that, from the economy to the health um, disparities of COVID-19, are going to last for generations to come at this point, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And like doing a real deep dive and assessments of that, right? We thought, like, yeah, like I would, I would love to read that. Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I absolutely. And I think it's, a, it's an important read. And people were like, no, we don't, we don't see the the value of it, right? We don't like see the value. Of, we already have Trump books. I'm like, you have a bunch of books like from Trump's nieces and cousins and stuff, but that's a very different thing. <laughs> but it's stuff right. like that that like you know, is my next step. Again, I'm working on some projects now. One of them looks like we're going to have somebody pick it up soon, uh, potentially. Uh, But outside of writing, you know, I'm still marketing. Mm. I still have clients. You know, we work with some pretty cool people like HBO and Netflix. And that's your own company, right? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, after the Black Panther Challenge, it was interesting because, you know, Again, you know, looking at the spaces that white people have create and opportunities that they get. You know, I did Black Panther Challenge. I would have thought that because I'm not just like somebody who did something by accident, right? I have an MBA in marketing from NYU, one of the best business schools in the country. Right. You know, people always say to me, like, oh, people are probably knocking down your door with opportunities for coming on and consulting and stuff. Like, no, I haven't heard from a singular person in this country who was looking at me to do anything, right? Like, Disney never even like messed. I never spoke to, I've never to this day spoken to Disney in my entire life about anything I've ever done, you know, or anything like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That I would have expected that they would have reached out to you. Wow. No, no, not in the slightest. So, like, you know, all these different things. And then, so I went out and created my own agency because I was like, look, I know that like I should be getting certain opportunities, but nobody's giving them to me. Like I, I had a job obviously, but like it wasn't like commensurate with like the things I had accomplished. Right, right. So I created my own agency mm-hmm. and that's the agency that I got the Forbes under 34 for creating my own marketing agency. Um, we quickly got, I like was like hustling to get clients and we did some really cool stuff with HBO. We did a lot of the digital marketing for like the Watchmen show, things like that. Mm, so okay. You know, again, I still have clients. Um, the agency is we have stories in case anybody needs a marketer. And I have some really cool um, people working for me now. And well, the one eighty, I mean, you know, we'll we'll talk, we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think it's just continue marketing, and you know, my goal is to live up to the standards of like you know the Zora Neale, you know, Hurstons and the James Baldwin's and people like that. One day, mm. my first book is not that. My first book is very much like geared towards young people um, or people who are trying to be better about race. It's a young person book, but like I have stories in me Mm. that I think are worthy of my idols. That's beautiful. An achievement to be able to say, you know what I mean? I think there are a decent amount of people who are striving to have stories or, you know, are striving to Mm. believe that their stories are at that level. But it's like, you you have to have that belief in yourself. You have to get to a place where you know that the stories that you desire to share are worthy of the success that you're after and the support that you're after. Um, And that's a huge reason why I created the 180 is because I do believe truly that people's stories heal other folks, you know, and that when we share our stories truthfully and authentically, it creates healing for not only ourselves, but many 
many countless others. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear your stories, Fred. I'm excited for your stories. I'm excited to tell them, man. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a little bit about, you, you mentioned Zora Neale Hurston, James Baldwin, but who are some of the influences, whether, you know, living or, or passed on, but who are some of your greatest influences? My, my grandmother and my mother are my absolute greatest influences, right? Like mm. my mother raised me as a single black woman and, you know, coming out of the crack epidemic, um, you know, you know, where it like decimated my family and she was the only person really who wasn't. Mm on drugs the only person who wasn't an alcoholic you know she just was like i'm gonna do the right thing by my son um having me at 18 she's just like yeah i'm gonna do the right thing and i'm gonna make a life for him so i, I have the utmost respect and admiration for her and my grandmother was an interesting woman you know someone who had four children that she like had to bring up from the south after her husband was lynched by the clan you know so like her you know she had a lot of trauma and she did um, lean into self-medicating if you would mm. but you know she was someone who she was a writer she was just a brilliant woman who who really instilled in me a love for you know art I think my, my mother was like music and television and movies and my grandmother was very much literature so the two of them are my idols personally mm. every question like prompts another question i'm like i want to know more so what are some of your favorite books you know it's funny because i guess I, I i get asked that a lot recently doing like um, interviews and stuff i guess yeah. gonna be gonna be author soon right yeah, yeah, yeah. i got a book but uh <laughs> you know, everybody thinks i'm gonna say something like deep and like black and prophetic and and my favorite book is Harry Potter. Like, you know, like my, yes. and, and as much yeah. as I don't like J.K. Rowling, she's, you know, transphobic and things like that. I can't, yeah, I can't stand her. But she built a world that helped save my life, to be quite frank with you. You know, like as a kid growing up in the projects, reading about, you know, kids who were like from England going to like some magical school meant a lot to me, um, especially because it like carried through my adolescence into my like young adult life that that was that meant a lot to me but 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 leaning into more of like the black um work you know i, I love i I don't, I don't even have a book necessarily because i just love all of octavia butler's work i think like yeah just afrofuturism personally i had never until reading her her work like knew that like we had sci-fi you know like because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't get that it's a lot of um oh, I write about slavery or write about oppression. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to write about like futuristic worlds and these other things. So like, I love, I love Octavia Butler. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I love that you said that because I, I too love Octavia Butler and I'm developing a piece that's about all black space crew traveling to a new planet called home. Oh. It's, it's, and it's wild and crazy and silly and a dark comedy. Um, but I'm very interested and invested in exploring seeing black people in spaces where we typically don't see them and really interested in using flight as escape and mm. so yeah I'll, yeah I'll yeah, yeah. we, we need to yeah yeah and finally you you mentioned magic when you were talking about harry potter and i do see this at, truly as a through line throughout your life thus far because <laughs> i've gotten to know you so well right now i'm uh, seeing through lines <laughs> in your life what is the magic that you are excited to leave behind it's weird because like that actually is my my biggest thing is is legacy mm. as i think that there's so much magic in the idea of what's your legacy like i was a kid that grew up on hip-hop um you know i, I mean i love all sorts of music but i, I love hip-hop love all sorts of whatever but jay-z was my guy not as much anymore but like mm. 
Yeah. But but Jane <laughs> came out with this album, maybe like 2017, 2016, I'm not remember I can't recall. But it's called 444. And oh yeah, 444. Yeah. yeah. And it was very much like I'm sorry, Beyonce, I cheated. But besides that, uh-huh. it was it was also this grown man rapping about grown man things, like leaving a will for your kids and like who are you to your children there's a song legacy and that song samples um dining hathaway who i absolutely love and i remember that song changed my life i was just like you know what's my legacy and i think that whether it's the black panther challenge this book the covid campaign everything that i kind of work on every tweet that i put out every post on ig is all about is somebody changed or moved by this and is this going to be the thing or is this one thing that helps somebody remember me? Like, like nobody can take back those kids seeing Black Panther for the first time, right? Nobody can take back yeah. that during a pandemic, while the government didn't do anything, we gave families enough to make it past the hump, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's 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 beautiful, and it is just so um, telling of your spirit that you know part of what you continue to do is give and give back and um, be cognizant of how that giving back will impact people that you you will never meet and just how um, important it is to be able and willing to make whatever sacrifices you're able to to say hey this is for y'all this is this is for somebody besides you this isn't for me this is for other folks and I know that people will be served mm-hmm. through my giving so, we end the 180 with a quote, and I've got a quote, and you can tell me okay. how it makes you feel. Be who you are and say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Bernard M. Baruch. Oh, Baruch. Wonderful school, by the way. If it's, yeah, it should be the same Baruch, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. For those who don't know, Baruch is a really good business school, and you're saying, I believe it's the same Baruch. You know what that reminds me of? That quote makes me feel sane. It reminds me of mm. a quote, actually, <laughs> from my best friend, Devon. Yes, Devon. He said, why are you stressing? They don't pay your bills. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's really, I think that's yes. that same exact sentiment, right? I think it's an important thing for people to realize outside of the whole bills thing, but it's like the people who are most important even in like the conversation about legacy are the ones who will remember are willing to listen and willing to have conversation everybody else is unimportant right like real realistically like you know and you just have to like love who you love and love who loves you Mm -hmm. and the willingness to like be who you are say what you feel is like being able to know that inside of you is a voice that is necessary to the world. And no matter what you're going to say, at some point it will find the right person who will feel more seen, more heard, more empowered because you said what you felt or you, you know, you are who you are. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think we're seeing a lot of that. And I, I think just the world right now, especially with politics, right? You have young people who are fierce, like the AOCs of the world, mm-hmm. or even like my good friend, Mindair Jones, who's the first black, he might be the first gay completely like like any race but i get but i know he's the first black um gay congressman who was just um elected he, he just went to his orientation but yes oh yes he went to an orientation i love it yeah yeah so it's, it's people like that you know jamal bowman ilhan omar rashid sleeve ayanna presley the people who are mm-hmm. not from the worlds and 
from the establishment of American politics, right? And those people have to have kind of your blinders on to a certain extent of like, this is what we're here for. This is what I'm doing. And like, it might not land with everybody, but I know it's the right thing to do. And it's going to land with somebody. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to them. Shout out to them. Well, thank you so much, Frederick. And I want to make sure that our listeners stay connected with you. You can find Frederick on Instagram and Twitter at Fred T. Joseph. And of course, be sure to get this brother's book, The Black Friend, um, available at all major retailers, such as I'm going to list. Okay, okay, okay. Because it might spark something. Just know it's in Target. Mm -hmm. You can get it on Amazon. Yes, sir. Barnes and Noble. And even Books a Million. Uh huh. Yes. They got a million books, including The Black Friend. (laughs) Including The Black Friend. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to you want to shout out, Fred? No, I just uh, I just appreciate the time. Um, it's been a great conversation, and you know, make sure that y'all, if if you can't get it soon, make sure you push Eric to make home because it sounds fly. I cannot wait. <laughs> Whatever comes of that, it sounds amazing. So I'm looking forward to you doing that. The Afrofuturistic play. The, the oh. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I said this because I'm in the zone, but it's called Sweet Chariot because mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, the, the ship is called Chariot and they're going to a planet called home. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, it deals with spiritual stuff. And so thank you. Thank you for that support, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, no, that, that's been in my head, in my mind since you said it, right? Like, 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 and I think that we as people, whether you be black people, people from any marginalized community just need to uplift each other more. So it's like, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, dope idea. Please make sure you do that. So I'm going to shout you out before I get off that you need to do that. Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com, The180Pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing if you just keep on pressing. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180.